one and a very good evening everybody and welcome to our saturday night programming where we discuss and hear from many different people on a vast range of topics a gentleman that i have been trying my bestest to talk to uh, not because of the programming tonight but just in support for the work that he does so i'm so pleased uh that andy price has agreed to come on to our program tonight andy good evening sir good evening lawrence how are you and uh thanks as well oh absolute pleasure it really is we 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 keep swapping messages <laughs> yeah we do we keep swapping messages. I'm, I must get off my backside and get down to Weymouth and get a cup of tea and a cheese and potato pie because that looks really nice. <laughs> yeah, they're going down an absolute storm. They are good. They are good. And you have to get in quick, actually. They don't last longer than a day or two and they're all gone. Right. I shall Sorry. remember that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. the tip. Mm -hmm. Andy, um, if you could get this evening uh, rolling, please. Just a little bit about yourself, your background. Yeah, okay. So um, I'm Andy Price. I'm 43 years old. I'm father of two. So my background, um, sort of mid-20s, I joined the British Army. Uh, prior to that, actually, I was just um, – I wasn't going very far in life. So it's almost like one of them uh, – cliche stories about joining the military you know I was jumping in and out of jobs I was getting involved in things I shouldn't have been getting involved in there have been a couple of losses in my life um I was probably definitely on a downward spiral down the wrong route in life if that um if that resonates with anyone or makes any kind of sense and it was almost a cliche and I ended up joining the army because I thought it's either that or I'm gonna end up in prison or I'm gonna end up dead one or the other so let's let's join the army. And actually, because of the age I was at, um, a good friend of mine who was ex-parachute regiment suggested that I um, I looked at the reserves first. Or I think it was back then it was the TA. And the idea behind that was, he said, you're quite unruly. You're in your mid-20s. I don't think you could take too well to having someone tell you what to do. So before you sign your life away for four years, just take a look at what you're getting into. And that was 2003. And interestingly enough, um, it was two years after we went to Afghanistan. And, you know, I looked at it early 2003. Um, and then towards the end of 2003, I found myself on the streets of Kabul in Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, fast forward six years, I've done two, three tours of Afghanistan, twice in Helmand, once in Kabul. Um, Helmand, incredibly, incredibly volatile. Um, I came out 2009-2010, uh, decided that I liked soldiering so much that I became a private military contractor. Um, so I went back to Helmand for three years. I then went to Iraq for two and a half years. I then thought, I've had enough of all that, so I went to Libya, um, set up a mission with a team out there. Um, that took me up to about 2017, and uh, I came home. One marriage has already gone down the pan. You know, I'm your stereotypical cliche type soldier come contractor, you know, drinking stupidly heavy amounts, you know, just absurd amounts of alcohol, living a life that I can't sustain, um, you know, very chaotic, fighting, you know, like everything, everything you've seen in the movie, I was kind of that cliche, 
um, but without the cool tattoos or anything like that, okay? And I couldn't grow the cool beard at the time either. But everything else, I was that cliche. Um, and you come to 2017, I'm in a relationship again. I've got a daughter, I've got a stepdaughter, and um, I had what can only be described as a, a huge breakdown uh, following a couple of traumatic events again um, that led to me... Uh, planning my own death my family found out they intervened because um thankfully they like me no like that'd be pretty pants if he dies so they looked after me um intervened got me the support i needed uh eventually diagnosed with ptsd uh chronic depression chronic anxiety and a uh, and, and an adjustment disorder more recently as well um which i you know it's just saying i have to live with and manage with meds and other means um, and that's where the hub came from. And that's it. That's my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, um, there is more to it, but I don't <clears> want to go into the presence I didn't get when I was a kid or the girl that said no to me at school or anything oh, like that. <laughs> <laughs> do, uh, and do you know what, Andy? Uh, I am not military. Uh, I did two weeks um, finding out about the army in Blandford camp. And at the end of the mm -hmm. two weeks, it was unanimously agreed by all sides that I didn't fit the army. So that was fine. Um, but my father, my mother, and both my brothers are strong military people. Okay. And do you know what? Your story there, uh, I could equate that to my family and extended family as well. Mm -hmm. It's such a common commonality, common... Oh, yeah, my heart goes out to you, mate. Anyway, yeah. anyway, out of all that, mm -hmm. out of all that, look what you've achieved. Is it back yeah. in 2017 mm -hmm. that you started up the yeah. idea of the hub? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So the the idea of the hub that was a that was a concept that came about from actually my own sort of recovery, as it were, pulling me back from the brink. So um during the initial stages me having that breakdown um a very good friend of mine and godmother to my youngest daughter actually a u.s marine that i'd uh, been in helmand with and who had uh, been alongside me in a couple of situations that sort of uh you know anyway volatile situations that you expect in that kind of place anyway she came over um when the breakdown happened uh, not because of the breakdown but she was i was on leave she wanted to come see her goddaughter and hang out with me and my partner uh she ended up staying for three months um she gave up her she was going to go to europe for two two and a half months she was only going to stay with us for two weeks she chose to stay in our house for three months to support me my partner and my children as i went through the breakdown um uh, and it was kind of through that journey um because support let me backtrack a little bit so not through any for any particular reason i think it's just the amount of people that sometimes require support the fact that we all know there's a lack of funding say in the nhs and through other services trying to get help for your mental health was incredibly hard it's not like i can walk into an a and e and you've got a a, a a visible wound that someone can see and they've got to treat it then and there you know you're given quite un, i think unreasonably long wait time to get the support that you may need uh at one point i was uh turned away from hospital my partner wanted me to be sectioned they had no beds um and they had no one that could deal with some displaying the symptoms that i was displaying so we were told to ring a crisis line you know another mainstream which i won't mention any names but you know another another mainstream charity told me 
I I was definitely in need of help, but there was a 10-month wait list. And then they also decided I was too complex to help, so they turned me away. You know, so I ended up being in a really dark place. My partner was at her wits end, didn't know what to do. And so this person I had served with in uh, Helmand um, came across and through just walking, talking, uh, being around someone who understood the language, who understood where I'd been, understood the situation, you know, I kind of worked my way through it. Um, uh, and so it was a bit of an eye opener because there was no clinical things there, no meds, right? It was just me walking and talking with someone who understood where I was coming from, you know, that I was able to talk to about things that I couldn't talk to anyone at all about who hadn't actually been in that situation. Yeah. Not true because I don't think you would understand it, but it's just really sometimes hard to explain and describe. So this happened, and then you know, inevitably the three months came to an end, and she had to go back to America. And I, I remember distinctly saying to her, "You know, I, don't, I just don't know what to do now. You know, I've been given this label. Um, I've lost my career because we obviously had to tell the the company I was working for in Libya what had happened, and." Um, because it had gone through the NHS, I'd been diagnosed you know, through a community mental health team um, that basically uh, um, destroyed my career, you know, overnight. And I remember saying to her, you know, this this is going to be as big an adjustment for me as having to deal with my mental health because I've essentially lost who I what I felt made me as a person, yeah. you know, and I've lost my income. I had lost everything, so. And it was her who was saying to me, you know, because she, she was saying, you can't be the only person going through this. In fact, you know, ironically, you know, even though I thought I was, the one of the things that led to my breakdown was two friends of mine from the military taking their own lives. You know, and it had just so and she she got me thinking about that. And she said, what I think you should do is reach out to your local community and see if there's anyone out there going through the same thing. Um but rather than making it like a, I don't know, like a, a, an AA meeting or a CAB meeting or, or something clinical, um, make it a bit more ad hoc, a bit more holistic. Literally, what do the guys like doing and their families? They like having a brew and just talk, hanging around people who speak the same language. So that's what we did, um, and that's where the hub came from. And it, it was really such a simple concept. And you know, we, um, myself, my partner helped me in the early stages. You know, we basically had a little Facebook page. Um, I did a little video about me with PTSD, which is actually not for the hub. That was my way of letting people know what was going on. I hadn't told anyone at that stage. So it was a, a good way for me to say to people, look, this is who you're used to seeing, but this is actually what it's like for me. You know, this is why some of you won't be seeing me around for a while. Um, I spoke to the local paper, the local radio station. Um, and kind of, it, it gathered a load of momentum through me because, you know, I, I'd, been a team leader overseas on quite a, a used to be quite a do you know given the task in i get on and do that job so i threw my all into it and you know uh probably about two three months later we had our first drop-in night on a thursday evening um and i think we had maybe 15 16 people through the door on the first night in fact when i got down to the place that i was hiring um which was the old ferry terminal in weymouth um i was hiring that place from another organization um, I wasn't expecting anyone to be there. I was incredibly nervous. I remember my partner, uh, she said, you know, it doesn't matter if you get one person there, you know, it's going to make a difference, right? So we got there and there was a queue outside. Um, and we just went from there, really. Uh, and it did literally, you know, 
did what it said on the box. I wasn't interested I, I, in, uh, you know, changing the whole aspect of support. I wasn't interested in any of that. I didn't really care what was going on further along the line with the mainstream charities or the government. I just wanted a place where we could go be apolitical and just talk and make new friends and look after each other. Um, and that's what it was originally. I mean, as anyone who's followed uh, the hub on Facebook, social media or anything like that, or the local press will know that I'm not adverse to speak in my mind um, every now and then. I'm not adverse to ruffle in a few feathers, I guess. Um, but every time I've done that or we've done it through the hub, it's been for a very specific reason. You know, we've seen firsthand the damage that's been done to someone or a family or an individual. And, you know, I feel strongly if you don't speak about what you see going wrong, nothing ever changes. And on the same hand, you have to praise everything that's happening right, you know? Um, so that's that, you know, we're, and we just went from, you know, carried on. Um, it was really sort of interesting process seeing these different guys and girls come in. Some I recognised, some I didn't. In fact, one guy called Darren, who opened the place with me in the end when we went full time? He was uh, him and me for about three or four months have been passing each other on a promenade near us um, with our dogs on a dog walk, both looking at the floor, both being really miserable. And <laughs> I remember looking at him a couple of times, thinking, "What miserable looking bloke!" And he must have been doing the same to me. Anyway, he came on the first night. His wife made him come there. It turned out we're both from uh, the same regiment, the Rifles, both going through exactly the same thing, mm. and it was amazing, you know, and. Uh, he came in that first night. Then the second week, he came in with loads of cakes he had handmade by himself, which blew his wife's mind away at the time. Um, and we took it from there. And, you know, it became really important to all of us. Um, we felt we were determined that we're going to make it unique, determined it was going to be led by us, determined that it was not about where you had been, uh, what rank you had been. It wasn't anything to do with any of that. Um, there's no kudos here. You could be from, you could be absolutely anyone. You know, you could be living on the streets, have a problem with booze and uh, um, substance use, you know, addiction. As long as you came in there clean on that night, yeah, you're welcome there. And we always treated like tomorrow's a new day, today's today, tomorrow's a new day. And that's how it went. Uh, fast forward maybe eight, nine months, and tragically, uh, down here, just alone where I'm in Weymouth, we had. Uh, four suicides in about eight, nine days, all of them veterans. Um, so one of them I knew, he had actually just started coming to the hub um, and that really hit me quite hard. I think I spoke to him uh, the afternoon before he killed himself. Um, and one of the, uh, sorry, the other three I didn't know, but one of them I knew of. Um, and he went and I ended up through circumstances meeting his family. In fact, they came to the hub. Um, and I sat down with his uh, widow, his mum, his daughters, and we had a long talk. And, you know, it's one of the things that occurred to us, you know, in the space of a week to have like four suicides in eight days, um, but all from the same community as well, yeah. you know, struck us as, you know, something that rather than brushing it on the carpet and saying, oh, well, it's happened, you know, what could we have done? We needed to do something proactive. So I spoke to the families. One of the daughters, I remember distinctly, she said to me, um, I know she was just ruminating, but she said, if there had been some somewhere my dad could have gone because we didn't realise he was going through this, I wonder if he had had people to talk to on a day-to-day -day basis, if, if it could have been different. 
you know, and, and even though most of us know that's a bit of a almost a pointless thing to wonder because we're never going to know why someone does that to yeah, themselves. Yeah. You know, there could be a million and one reasons, but it, it did did really sort of hit home with me and Darren at the time, and we made that decision almost simultaneously on that night that we we're going to make this a full time project. What you know, I think about two three months later. Um, our doors opened full time in Wyke in Weymouth, and then you know, and then we just went from there. Um, Lisa came on board, um, and I, I feel even though you know it's a it's a very fluid project, and you know we're by no means perfect. Um, I feel very strongly that it does what it says on the box. Um, all of the team that we have there are incredibly passionate about the project. Um, I say service users because that's just the official terminology I have to use, but the guys and girls with their families who come to the project, they're incre incredibly passionate about it. Um, and, and, you know, this we're, we're four years on now. Yeah. You know, and again, yeah. from strength to strength. And it's not perfect. We've had, we've had ups and downs, you know. There's been, um, you know, there's been other suicides locally. Um, we've had people come and go. We've had people that, you know, have maybe gone too far down that road you know sort of into what i like to call the darkness you know uh, but like a few of my good friends at the hub say you can't as long as you're there and people know you're there that's all that yeah. matters they know where they've got a place to come that be safe for them and they've got a place where we're not going to judge anyone um, and that's how it works i've probably gone on a little bit too much there sorry Lawrence. No, <laughs> no apologies <laughs> so much to cover on what you've just said mm um but yeah uh, as again i know with my family's background that the uh forces personality it is such a strong family unit yeah but correct. because sometimes a bit of a double-edged sword sometimes because it is such a strong family unit that people who are not forces or not of that mindset find it hard to sort of like engage or get involved but the strength within the forces you said about the lady from america mm, mm. you know yeah. i'm not being rude but would you get that in the civvy street probably not you know I'd, again we can't quantify these things no you can't and you don't know and you know would someone yeah. else have done that i don't know either that's just the way that went at that time and you know i i quite often say that i feel very much even though she would hate me to say this i very much feel that her that time in the fact that she came over here then the fact she stayed for three months you know i quite often say to you, you you literally for the second time saved my life yeah yeah probably without even knowing it yeah where she thought she was just walking and talking but like you just said that there that's a really big commitment to give up three months of your life just to walk with someone and talk with someone yeah you yeah. know and really so, engage with that as well yeah yeah you know absolutely amazing absolutely and it is sad you know that uh duty that you had with the uh wife and family of one of the chaps that committed suicide i'm, I'm sure that they got something from that to be able to talk and express mm -hmm. their feelings because like you said earlier on, you know, mental health, mental welfare out in the community is so underfunded and so sparse and so sort of like rigid unless you meet this criteria and that criteria, mm. you know, you don't mm. seem to get anywhere. 
within the church, we have people and families who have got issues. And getting involved with them and trying to progress that through on some sort of a treatment basis, it's, it's a minefield. You know, it absolutely is. But this service, uh, as you said, for your service users, I, I get that so much that you mm. you know everybody that comes into your community calf or into you as a service user or whatever there's that sense of relief when they walk in mm. because oh. you know I'm with family I can be me I can express what I'm talking about without feeling like yeah. you know you oh, don't well, understand interestingly enough you know um so the the whole ethos beyond that place is it's a safe place you know um everyone's treated as an individual there the the only real rules we have you know uh, and are you cannot be under the influence on site um you uh, and that's just the way it is and that isn't you know that's multitude of reasons not least the fact a lot of us do struggle with alcohol and other substances so we just won't have that on site it's a family environment um and also it's the fact that you know i i expect everyone on site no matter what they do outside of the hub no matter what their backgrounds are on site everyone treats everyone equally and we respect each other's backgrounds and stories because you know lawrence what what's an issue for you may not be an issue for me and yeah. i may even find it quite laughable but if it's affecting you it's affecting you so uh, and that's kind of what i say to the guys and girls when you come through that doors i don't care who you who you talk to outside of this place i don't care what your status is outside of the hub when you're in here we're all the same and we're respectful to of each other and that that's kind of the way it rolls really um what is interesting as well is the, the the whole mental health thing um like anything you know when when a professional looks at mental health it's almost quantified so um uh, and there's stages uh, in in for a lot of services you go to within the nhs or, or others in statutory services there's stages for your recovery and if you don't meet certain reach hit certain targets at certain points in mm -hmm. time that service is all almost pulled away from you um i want to be i think um it used to be one of the counseling services you could access through your local gp you would get six sessions maybe eight if you were lucky and at each session you were expected to be at a certain stage in your recovery so the way we look at it down the hub is you know even if three or four of us are diagnosed with ptsd actually the reason we've got that PTSD is different from the other person stood next to me. So actually my recovery is going to be different or I may never recover. So down at the hub, we always say, we're not expecting you to get better. We would love it if you did, you know, learn to lead some kind of a, a life without having to worry about your mental health. We're not expecting anything of you at all that, that, and when you come down here, you can be yourself, talk freely and be safe. And that is it, you know. And if someone wants something more, we're linked in with enough statutory services and, you know, charities to be able to signpost people to where they need to be. But at the hub, I'm not going to expect anything from you other than you come down there and you feel like you're in a safe place. You know, and if one day you come in and you're really messed up or you do something stupid, maybe get arrested by the police or end up in hospital, um, part of our ethos there as well is that, you know, it doesn't matter. That happened yesterday, you know you're welcome back tomorrow and we just start again yeah. and i'm not and i'm not saying that works with every single case <clears throat> because you know that there, there does have to be a line drawn sometimes 
but we're very reluctant to draw that line because we feel that everyone's got a background, everyone's got a story. And you were saying about the military side of things, and, and then you also said um, mental health as a whole is quite uh, rife throughout the community as a whole. Uh, and interestingly, that's why there's two sides for our project. So when you come down to see the place, you'll see we've got a cafe, a uh, community cafe. Yep. Orig originally, that was opened as a way to, I guess, bankroll the place to an extent. Yeah. Um, and then one day, one day we're all sat around talking and we had so many different people coming in from different backgrounds saying, I don't know, uh, I've lost my job. I'm living in poverty. I can't afford to put food on the table for my kids. Um, I'm struggling with my mental health, my marriage, whatever it was, people were just coming in. So as a one, we decided to make sure uh, the hub was accessible to all. We treat everyone the same. In the military, we're there to help support people. So we said, right, everyone could come in here. This would be a safe place for all. Okay, um, so we are a true community project, and there was a bit of a reason for me also sort of saying to all the guys and girls, you're right with that as well, because you also said, I think the, the military is quite a unique environment. We're quite close at times. Well, me and the lads, none of us are in the military now, so we also need to learn how to be civilians again. Okay, and the only way that's going to happen is we have a, uh, a project that incorporates us all. So that's what we do there. We do have private areas just for veterans and their families. Um, but, you know, the, the core part of the hub is actually the, the coffee shop, you know, the, the community cafe, you know, the place where people just sit around, talk, have a brew, play a board game, whatever. And that's open to absolutely everyone. Um, that brings in a question here from Sue Townsend. And she's just saying there, uh, services build people up. How is required for the jobs? they are deployed to undertake she's asking when it becomes time to leave is there any sort of like a program to wind down trained personnel to prepare them for life outside the services hi sue um that's a really interesting question because depending on who you talk to it'll depend on the answer you get and i laugh because yes there is a kind of uh transition period you know uh, for coming out of the armed forces, um, it takes up to a year, I believe. There's, there's, there's. You get something called learning credits. You can put towards courses and everything like that. But the, you know, the, a lot of us feel that where this fails is, yeah. Uh, what's the best way to explain this? So I, I joined the infantry. Okay, so. For me to be good at my job, they basically I went through all my basic training, my basic, then my phase two training. I learned all the skills of being an infantry. Okay, and that that involves being aggressive, hyper vigilant. I'm relying on a very small group of people, um, and also part of the military culture is drinking. Okay, mm -hmm. it's you know it's just top every drink. We we when we were in the military, we were you know a common saying is we're the fittest and most motivated alcoholics you're ever going to find. All right. Um, but it's weird because, you know, they, they teach you to be hypervigilant. They teach you to be aggressive. They teach you to be mistrustful in some areas. They teach you to drink heavily. They teach you to self-medicate with drink. Um, they teach you to actually look down upon people who aren't in the same sort of environment as yourself. Okay. Now, if you came up to me, Sue or Lawrence, outside of um, the military, and you said to me every single day I drink, you know, a couple of bottles of wine or a bottle of whiskey, um, I'm hypervigilant. I don't trust anyone. I fight every single time I go out. Um, you know, I always have to sit with my back to the wall. I have to check for exit points everywhere I go. Everything, like I would say, you've got an issue going on, Lawrence. 
minutes or mm-hmm. so. Yeah, maybe we should think about talking to someone about this because um, that's almost by definition a mental health problem. Okay, um, but in the military, we're taught to be like that. And the problem is, even though there is a leaving package when you leave the armed services, so that, you know, like I say, you can do courses, you can go um, get advice on jobs, housing, etc. In fact, what they don't teach you to do is not be all of them things I've just talked about there. Yeah. You know, they don't teach you how to switch that side <clears throat> of it off. Um, and even though they are trying to change, there's also, again, there's there's lines in the sand. So I don't think they're fluid enough, they're flexible enough. Um, I know people that are medically discharged, you know, 14 years in, 18 years in. We've got a, a lad who comes down the hub, 14 years in, suddenly diagnosed with PTSD and bipolar, and boom, he was gone a few months later. You know, never lived outside in Sibby Street in his life with no support whatsoever, handed over to the NHS. Um, so there is a wind-down programme, but I think that wind-down programme, as you've referred to it, is geared up to support those that are possibly mentally and physically able to just move on with their lives. Anyone who isn't geared up towards that, anyone who has no experience of civilian life um, or has a physical or mental health injury, um, is going to struggle massively, which is why we see so many fall to the wayside. Yeah, I think in the past, what, six to eight weeks alone, there's been 12 deaths from my old battalion, all suicides. Mm. You know, um, the the uh, prison system, this is just a side note here, just for your interest, but it does kind of relate to this prison system. 8% of the prison system is made up by armed forces veterans. Most of them, um, most of them, I think, be down to you know fighting, GBH, that kind of thing, drink, alcohol-related crimes. They make it eight percent of the prison population, but we only make up three percent of the population as a whole. So actually, that's a really high number. Yeah. Um, and again, that's because when they come out, there's no direction. They haven't got adequate support in place, and you're kind of just expected to just get on with it, like we would be in the military. But civilian streets totally different to the military. You know, and then you've got this other thing, which a good friend of mine, Tony, is always saying is uh, we're also taught to deal with things ourselves. So even if we're struggling, we find it really hard to actually say, can we have support? You know, because it's been drummed into us to one, it's a sign of weakness and two, we're just expected to get on with it. Um, and I do talks at GP surgeries or have did do in the past. And I used to say to him, one of the big issues is when you get an armed forces veteran come through the door. If he says to you he feels like he's going to kill himself or harm himself or just disappear, actually, you're the last port of call. So that means he's going to do it, you know, within a short time, time frame. Whereas, so saying like in 10 to 12 weeks, we'll be able to get you into therapy. Actually, that that's it. He's gone. Yeah, whereas um, some, and I'm not saying this is for everyone, you know, I am being a bit generalised here. I don't mean to be. But then a civilian walks into um, a GP's and says, oh, you know, I lost my job. My relationship has broke down and I, I've just got all these weird feelings going on. I don't know how to deal with it. Not every time. So please don't think I'm belittling anyone. You know, this is just sort of a, I'm just trying to give a bit of a oversight. You know, if the GP says you're brilliant, okay, we're going to put you on these meds. In 10 weeks, you can see a therapist. In the meantime, call us. You're more than likely going to be able to wait that amount of time unless it's unless you really do hit crisis point. Or, uh, because that's going to be your first port call because you're a civilian and you know it's okay to go to the GPs to say that. Yeah. Whereas when a veteran goes, it's our very last port of call. So if we say we need help, we do actually need help. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Sue, I went right off on the tangent then, but in short, <laughs> <laughs> in short there is a wind-down service, but it depends on who you are and what you've got going on as to whether or not it's going to work or not. If you're geared up and you're positive and you've got no mental health, physical traumas, you've got experience of civil life, you've got a good family behind you, yeah, that's going to work, especially if you've got direction. But a lot of the guys, girls don't have any kind of direction. They've not planned for this because we're not taught to plan for that. You just think you're going to be in the military for the rest of your life. So that's yeah. it. Yeah, totally, totally get that. Um, you know, and that is such an important message as well to get out there to the GPs to say, yeah. listen, you know, if you get a military person saying that, yeah, again, no offence to yeah. civilian population at all, but, you know, we do hear these cries for help that never actually manifest in action. But you know that uh, if somebody with your background and that training say that, it's mm. not an idle, empty thing. It is that, like you quite rightly said, that last port of call, how sad, how sad is that? Yeah. Phil Shaw. Oop. Try again. Phil Shaw. And he's just asking, do you have oh, any alternative therapies like uh, spiritual Reiki healing, therapeutic massage, meditation? Uh, do you have any of those available at the hub? Hi, Phil. And, yeah, um, so we're, we're really – we're kind of really uh, – the whole approach is holistic down there. Okay, so if you were able to come down to the hub, Phil, and see it, we have, like I said, the community cafe, and beyond that we have – what we call our private therapeutic areas and they comprise of like um purpose-built allotments that are disabled friendly purpose-built gym a sensory garden a quiet area and a, a quiet room uh, uh, slash you know like reading room um and that's just because sometimes people need quiet time out or, or whatever but you know in answer to your question there and the reason i'm telling you about them areas is uh we're linked in with an organization called healing hands um so they come down well throughout the whole lockdown period we haven't seen them for the obvious reasons uh, but they started up again last week so they do things like uh, uh natural healing reiki um you know indian head massages uh i think we've got some kind of um uh do you know it's like some sort of, kind of meditation going on soon um so yeah we, we we've got lots of things like that going on down there we also have uh circuit sessions um we, we carry out talks um uh, we're linked in with uh, the horse course so we do uh, equine intervention therapy um just about anything that someone says works you know we we will give it a shot if it works for the individual it works for us and within the hub itself we try to keep it as uh um we don't really want it to become a clinical environment this isn't about sitting around you know, being told what to do or have to take meds and stuff. We love things like Reiki, spiritual healing, uh, Indian head massages, you know, uh, energy stones. We've got a lady, I don't know what it is she does. It's like some, um, it's like black magic to me, but she waves her hands above <laughs> you with a stone under your body and you just feel yeah. a lot better. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it is magic. <laughs> yeah, in, in answer to that, Phil, yes, we do, mate. And we're, and if there were any practitioners who, who, we're obviously qualified because um, that's one thing we have to be 
it's not something I like having to do, but, uh, you know, because I always sound like I'm being a bit picky when I do it. But because of the nature of the beast where we are and the people that come in, if there are any practitioners who can show me their qualifications and they want to come down and offer their support, then they'll be more than welcome. Yeah, uh, quite right. And we, we do exactly the same in the church. Yeah. Uh, anybody coming in here practicing any healing modality, we need a qualification. Yeah. Uh, there's a lady here who I'm not familiar with, but I get a funny feeling you may know her. Uh, she's a lunatic. We, we banned her from the hub ages ago. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> uh, Lisa, I'm going to get hold of the police again if you carry on with this. No. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's, um, that's the one. Oh, yeah, so Lisa Rushby williams runs the hub with me. She's like my... Uh, 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 right-hand man, woman, you know, we, we just support each other. In fact, interestingly, this is just so you've all got a bit of background on Lisa. Um, her father uh, was a bit of a legend in the Navy before he passed away. He was an Arctic explorer, actually. Um, and the reason she's become involved with the hub was she came down to one of the dropping nights. She's uh, uh, like a veterinary nurse, and she came along, or a training veterinary nurse, and she came along and as part of her course she had to do uh, 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 like a paper on how support dogs help people um she came to talk to one of the lads darren who set the project up with me as well um he had a dog and she came along to talk to him and she just never left and she actually gave up her full-time job she was so passionate about what she we did and so passionate about helping people she gave up her full-time job to come and work for us for 10 months for free as a director Wow. She's been there ever since. Yeah, she's an amazing, amazing woman. An amazing Hats individual. Off to you, Lisa. Yeah. And she's obviously still working, even though it is 20 to 8 on a Saturday yeah. evening. <laughs> mm -hmm. I am still working. So anybody out there yeah. uh, in need of a sports massage therapist? Yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you, Lisa. And bless you. That's a great story. Thank you. That is mm. so wonderful. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Absolutely. Currently, you've got a uh, fundraiser on the go. I've posted the link in the comments box there for mm -hmm. anybody if they wish to donate mm -hmm. for a holiday home. Yeah, Thailand. Yeah, I'll go halves with you. I'll do halves <laughs> and yeah. join you. That's a, that's a bit of a that's a bit of an in-house joke that one. I'm okay. Watching, just around, but yeah, no, Thailand. No, do you know I I um. Uh, so we set that up some time ago and we're actually going to increase the amount and just keep it running. I think you can have like a direct debit or standing order set up with it because we have a lot of uh, guys and girls from across the country come to visit. Um, we also have a lot of uh, veterans and their family members who are on incredibly low incomes. You know, literally, you could almost say that, you know, it, they are living in poverty as such. So, you know, um, so the idea was to pick up some kind of holiday home somewhere that we, it'd be twofold. So it'll be on hand for our guys and girls to utilize for them and their families whenever they needed a break um, at a minimal cost, if any cost, you know, it all depends on whether or not they can afford it. Um, but it also, when it's not booked out, be a way for us to create an income stream. You know, we could let it out to people from other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, and the reason we're going to increase the amount, actually, the more I think about it, you know, at first I thought, well, we're in Weymouth, so we've got like three or four Haven sites. Um, but one of the things, you know, that, that we really sort of uh, crave, I think, is uh, peace and quiet. Yeah. You know, we, we absolutely crave it. Um, 
I know I do. And I know when, when you speak to a lot of the guys and girls, they're like, you know, my ideal destination would just be somewhere where there's nothing, no one, quiet trees, lakes. So we're, the re- it sounds greedy, but we're just going to keep that running now in the hopes that we can pick up something somewhere a bit more secluded, like a cabin or something. And then that would become uh, 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 a respite place, basically, a respite holiday home for those that need it. Yeah, uh, but also somewhere to use you know, uh, as an extra income stream, or if we have visit, we often have visitors. So you know, it's a threefold thing. But that's what we want it for because you, you, you speak to some of the guys and girls, and they they just their life is just their house and trying to survive. You know, uh, and to be able to say to someone, um, you know, for like five pound a night or, or even or for free, you know, just take you, your kids, your partner away for a week. Um, and it may only be local, but it still feels like you're away when you're on the on the site, doesn't it? So that that's what that's for. Makes absolutely huge impact yeah. just to get people yeah. out of that environment, even yeah. for that short time, and being able to get out of the uh, environment as well. Absolutely yeah. massive. Mm-hmm. You're doing very well on the uh, the fundraising for that. I can. I think we are. Share that at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I make lots of jokes, but that's you know, it's amazing, and that word, I, I know that would get us something on a little seaside, but I kind of, it's something in my head. I always just want to say, right, let's just get this right for the guys. Yeah, yeah, make it accessible to everyone. Yeah, yeah. a lot. Uh, do you know the the funny thing about mental health as well? There's so many guys and girls we support that. Without having to teach them and suck eggs, because we all, I guess we all understand the realities um, of warfare and everything. We've all seen the movies and read the books, but there's so many guys and girls that just can't be around noise. They can't be around screaming kids. They can't be around, you know, loud music. Um, that jump, even when a door, you know, slams shut. So that that's kind of reason I'm saying I'm looking... That's what that fundraising page is for, to find somewhere secluded that we can buy and just have for the guys and girls that need it so they can just get away and not have to worry about anything. Yeah, absolutely admirable. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Mm-hmm. I also was reading, you're delivering 500 meals, hot meals a week. No, we're not. No, no. You're not? No, no we, we did. That's delivery. No, we did. Um, Sorry. Um, <laughs> maybe no, we'll call it okay. We'll... So, we don't, we, no, we don't, we don't do it anymore. This was during the <laughs> sorry, Lawrence, during the first during the first lockdown period, um, yeah. which I think lasted about 12 weeks. Um, we, we delivered something like 10 and a half thousand, Lisa may correct me, but about 10 and a half thousand hot meals that were all homemade, um, just to anyone in the community that needed them. And I think we delivered about 1,000 welfare parcels, um, thanks to like one of the local supermarkets. Uh, gave us stuff every single week. Uh, other people bought things and donate, and they're quite bespoke parcels. You know, if we knew it was a family of four that couldn't afford shopping, we made sure it suited a family of four. You know, if it's a family of two or whatever it was. So we did that over the first 12 week period. Um, it was actually the the what was staggering was. Um, what was the hot meals that were done? Um, Lisa took charge of that. Um, and we basically had this uh, crazy uh, sick dude called Carlinda, who just wants to save the world, turn up at the hub. And he said, like, you know, um, he said the the 
everything's really bad. A lot of people are going to be suffering. This was in day one or two of the lockdown. Um, and we were already trying to think of how we would adjust as a service because we were just basically, all of our guys and girls had just been told they couldn't leave their houses for 12 weeks yeah. at least. So we were like, how do we make sure that they don't all go under? See, can you imagine, Lawrence, I'm going to digress here, all these guys and girls that are living with mental health problems, living with suicidal thoughts every day, suddenly told they've just got to stay in their houses for 12 weeks and see no one. Yeah, yeah me and Lisa... We had a bit of a crisis meeting and the one thing that we were terrified of was we're going to lose some of these guys and girls now in fact i think i said to the team as a whole um i personally being the ever optimist you know i, I fully expect to lose at least one or two people throughout this 12-week period you know uh, and that kind of and thankfully you know we didn't but that galvanized us to just turn the project totally upside down shut it to the public make it a staging post for support um effectively because you know it's like being an ops overseas you know um we worked around the clock we worked in shifts um and one of the things was you know the shopping deliveries were a no-brainer we said we're going to get this done and we we turned that around in about three days flat from flash to bang you know we had a list of people that needed shopping and we started making it happen um it wasn't just me and lisa you know we had a team of guys coming in um and the other thing then was the food because then it was a case of when this guy Kalinda turned up and said, can I help in any way? Um, we thought it'd be really nice just to give anyone in the community something nice, you know, like a fresh meal. Um, and yeah, he, he turned up. Um, we found a sourced a pub where we could do the cooking. We sourced the ingredients. He cooked, we delivered, and about 10,500 meals over a 12-week period were delivered. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. And this is where the uh, the forces energy really comes to the fore, doesn't it? Because this is part and parcel of the training that you respond, you react and yeah. you get things done. And that, yeah. must have... and that was it. The, the interesting thing was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Lawrence. No, sorry. The, the interesting thing was, you know, it almost galvanized some of the guys and girls. Some of them, you know, the guys we've got there, maybe on a daily basis just come in and have coffee sit there talk then go home they were galvanized they were working because it was like that you know we had a clear direction we knew kind of what our mission statement was okay we had a clear command structure we knew what was going to be happening on any given day to an extent you know and that and that's how it works it was brilliant absolutely brilliant to see yeah absolutely i, I... I wish I'd been closer. I would have loved that. I would have loved that. Because mm. that time brought out in people, it was like, it was the fight or flee mm. energy, very much so. I think um, all, the, all the bad things that have happened, the obviously bad things, you know, deaths of families, whatever, the, the flip side of all of this past year is it's brought communities together and it's been really good to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's been uh, yeah. Really good. I agree totally there because there was a phrase I kept seeing in uh, some of your write-ups and I absolutely love it. And you're saying that veterans and families are not alone. And yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that uh, statement mm -hmm. because it is not just, you know, we're not looking at a person going down a path and, you know, enduring everything that path is bringing to them. Mm -hmm. That is also going out into the family unit as well. 
you know, the Absolutely. wives, the husbands, the children, the parents mm -hmm. have all got a shoulder and bear part of that journey as well. Yeah, of course they have. It, 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 arguably, um, and, you know, maybe some people are going to disagree with me here, but arguably I'd say if it's someone like myself who's got a diagnosed mental health problem, actually the, the families, our children, uh, probably get it worse than what I do. Okay, because mm -hmm. I, I, I know what's going on in my head. Well, this, oh, no, I know I wouldn't be on meds if I knew, but, you know, I, I know there's symptoms to what I have. I know I'm going to react a certain way. I know that sometimes I'm going to shut down completely and not want to leave this room I'm in or the sofa or whatever that is. But for those looking from the outside in, see your partners, your spouses, your kids, your grandparents, your parents, whatever, who aren't going through that, or just seeing you crumbling away, you know, it's terrifying for them. And the stress and strain, stresses and strains it puts upon their lives is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I'm just sadly, sadly going through a uh, second breakup now of a uh, you know, family unit. Um, but, you know, like my partner was saying, she spends uh, two, three years at least, and we're talking at least maybe four or five years, you know, every night wondering, is he going to be here in the morning? What's he going to do tonight? And that's just got to be a huge strain upon someone. Yeah. You know? Uh, and that's the same for anyone across the board. And I, I think, you know, I think to an extent, most people that struggle with mental health, especially if it's a complex mental health disorder, are going to get what I'm saying there. That yeah, it's terrible for us, you know, woe is me. You know, I, I'm going to be on meds for God knows how long, you know. Do I know if I'm going to be here next year? Who knows, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, but for those looking in from the outside who love and care about us, who are basically helpless, you know, in this, um, yeah, it's arguably a lot worse. So that's why we include the families, the children. We do everything we can. Every service that we offer to an armed forces veteran, we offer to them as well and probably extra to them because we understand, you know, how hard it is yeah. for them to keep going. <clears throat> That is absolutely amazing. I, I am just so much in awe. I really am. Uh, and I, I really wish I lived closer so I could do something. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, yeah go on. Um, yeah, a lot of lovely comments coming in. Sue Townsend's just asked a question. Uh, and she's just asking, there's a great deal of focus based on honoring uh, those that have passed in wars and everything. Mm -hmm. But from the conversation tonight, there's less emphasis or less assistance being given to the people that are here now, you know, what's your thoughts on that? If any, um, yeah, she's right. Obviously she <clears throat> is right. You know, every, every year we remember our dead, don't we? Yeah. So, but that's a really hard one because, you know, the, the big argument by people like myself and peers of mine, you know, other people run other organisations or the guys that come into the hub, big argument is there's not enough support out there for us. And we're almost like the forgotten injuries, you know. You don't see a memorial every single year to the, you know, X amount that have taken their own lives. You know, yeah. we don't see a memorial every year to the X amount that have been injured and ended up, you know, Desolate living on desolate living on the streets of England or whatever that. Is. So we don't see that, and it really does make us incredibly angry and upset at times. However, on the flip side, 
we in the military, especially those of us who have deployed and you know, not taken away from anyone who hasn't, but those of us who have lost colleagues on operations, to remember our dead is incredibly important to us. You know, it's a bit of, it's one of them funny situations, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. I guess I guess a way of answering that is, you know, nowadays when we go to uh, remembrance, you know, November the 11th, and we're there at the cenotaphs, I don't just remember those that have passed now. I remember those that are struggling and those that have lost their lives outside of conflict as well. But that's just myself, and I think a few of the guys probably do that as well. Mm. So it's all encompassing. It isn't just about those who've died on the battlefield, because arguably, you know, if you've been to war and you come home and you can't deal with whatever's going on in your head, it, that's, you know, that's what's killed you. In fact, I said that once. I said to uh, one of my uh, therapists that I was speaking to, I said to her, I feel like I was killed in Afghanistan. And what I'm doing now is just marking time. You know, and that is it. So, yeah, yeah, that is it. A bit depressing, I know. Apologies, Sue. <laughs> yeah, it yes, it's, it is sad. It is depressing, yeah. but it's real life. You know, yeah. and we we can't live a life full of buttercups and daisies and everything pink and fluffy. There is a very yeah. gritty side to life. Mm-hmm. And only by talking about it and hearing about it is where we can start understanding. I've noticed where I live, we've got the entrance of Paul Park, and mm-hmm. on the 11th, they have a big memorial service in there. But I've noticed myself over the last 10 years, the age group of people going in there with visible disabilities mm-hmm. has got younger and younger and younger. And you can also guarantee that for every one that you see with a visible disability, there's probably another two with a one that you can't see absolutely it's we've just done we're 2021 you know we're only even now we've still got british troops in afghanistan but you know it's almost two decades of constant conflict in one shape or form or the other whether you're iraq africa you know syria libya afghanistan wherever that is it's almost two days of uh linked conflict as well you know that's why the americans um called it the war on terror didn't they yeah. So almost two decades of warfare, and whatever your feelings are on that, you know, uh, pro this conflict, not not pro whatever your feelings. The fact is, that's what we've done, and whatever side of the line you've stood on, you know, whether you're a civilian or, or uh, someone who you know, an actual sort of uh, indigenous population of that country, whether you're myself, like a foreign soldier coming into it, th- these conflicts have had a massive effect upon everyone. Yeah. You know, absolutely. There wasn't one operation I did where we didn't see, um, another, you know, quite a huge number of casualties in some places. So if you take that over a 20-year period, I'm not surprised you're seeing that. And I think we're going to see more of that, sadly. Yes, uh, it, it is it's sort of like hidden, isn't it? Not, Yeah. It's, it's not visible, but it's not until you get an event like that where you get the the whole groupings coming together. You just suddenly mm-hmm. think, wow, yeah, hold on, where's all this yeah. come from? Mm. Andy, you have really, really made an impression tonight, um, definitely on me, and I know with the people watching and the people that will watch on Catch Up later mm-hmm. on and also listen to the podcast You've been absolutely amazing. So inspiring. 
Just quickly, and thank you as well. I really appreciate it. Um, and everyone who's watching and listening. The the other thing, just to bear in mind, you know, get away from all the depression stuff. If you are in Weymouth, Portland, or even in Dorset, I mean, we, we get people visiting from all over now. And we've actually, another thing, a testament to the holistic approach, quickly, Lawrence, if I may say so. I think we've had one, two, three sets of people move to Weymouth now, specifically so they can engage with this project. Wow. Um, which is, you know, uh, uh, one guy went on the housing register about a year ago and he got moved down here just because he wants to come to this project. So that's something. But also, on a lighter note, the, the food we make is amazing. The milkshakes are absolutely amazing. They're mind-blowing. Um, they're not like your McDonald's or Burger King standards. These are good <laughs> handmade, you know, um, handmade burger, sausage rolls, cakes. Um, there's a reason we've got the waistline we have in the hub, and it's not because... <laughs> <laughs> it's because we like cakes and burgers. Actually, are you not supplying burgers to a pub up the other side of Weymouth? Yeah, we are. We we had um, uh, the Belvedere Inn got hold of us, Lynn McKenzie, who took That's it over. It. And yeah. she said, you know, we're, we're, and it's a great pub, actually. And she just said, I'm going to get the kitchen up and running again properly. Um, but she wanted to make it like sort of just classic quick bar food. And, and she said, can we, do you want to make the burgers? And... It was good. That's kind of taken off. And then we've had, um, there's some kind of scouting event tomorrow. Um, and we just, the reason you saw me running in here and sitting down and eating my chips earlier on was because we just um, made 200 burgers for that event as well. Brilliant. So I've taken off as well. It's really good. That is, that is. And do you know what? I think very, very strongly that, um, uh one of the effects of coming out of this covid time that we've experienced is the sense of community and pulling together yeah. is just going to be Absolutely. so much stronger yeah it um, is. I, I, and i and i hope I, I genuinely sincerely on my heart hope that continues definitely um, because we we found something during that time that struck me it, even though obviously i may look old but I wasn't alive during the nineteen, yeah, World War Two. Uh, but it struck me with being that kind of uh, that wartime England London spirit. Everyone came together. Everyone was checking on their neighbours. You know that kind of thing. And it was just for me, it was a really good thing to see happening. Yeah, and I, and I hope we kind of maintain that momentum to an extent. Definitely, definitely. Because we we went through that time and we all had our mortality challenge, and that was something uh, the big percentage of the population had never even considered. Yeah. And suddenly, it was we were living in this world where tomorrow morning I could wake up with a cough. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, have I got a minute just to say one more thing? Yes, about please that. do. This please. is this is really really important, actually. Um, so you're talking about COVID. So uh, we're a CIC, the Veterans Hub, um, and that basically means we're a limited company by guarantee, but it's a community interest company. So we're not profit making. Um, we can access grants, etc. Uh, but the beauty of that is, and the reason I wanted that was because I'm really kind of like I'm a control freak. Okay. Um, I've got a little bit of OCD and I'm like, I want no one else telling me what to do. This is going to be my train set to start off with when we went full time. Um, but as we've moved on, you know, different people have come along and they've got a lot of interest in the project and they uh, really passionate people that really are passionate about seeing the project not fail because, you know, yeah. the big thing for us is always finding funding streams. 
okay and every now and then guys and girls will come to us say look why don't you apply for charity status and i'll say look you know if we become a charity we're gonna have to have trustees and then we're gonna be governed by the charities commission and what happens then is you know i tell one of the trustees to f off in a fit of rage and before you know i'm sacked i've lost the project all and the other thing with the charities commission is is due process so if you came to me lawrence and said andy i can't pay my rent this week because i lost my job you know, if me and Lisa have got the money there and we know you're genuine, we'll just pay your rent for you then and there. But if you're a charity, um, just for transparency, really, and I fully understand it, the process is a lot longer. You can yeah. say I can't pay my rent next week, but it could take up to three or four months for that charity to get permission to release some money to help you with that. So we also wanted to be an immediate support project. However, I digress. So what happened was these guys keep coming to me. A wonderful chap called Dave Ellis, who was part of the third Royal Tank Regiment came to me uh, one day and he said, you know, I really think you need to have a charity arm. And he really understood the project and he understood all of my fears about trustees and everything. He said, so why don't you allow me, as in David, to set up a, uh, a charity that supports the Veterans Hub but doesn't have oversight of the Veterans Hub? So basically you and Lisa maintain control of the hub. Okay, but what we but what we will do, you and Lisa can worry about the day-to-day -day running of the hub and also covering the overhead. And what we'll do, we'll worry about fundraising and finding you money to do the things that really matter to you. But kind of frees me and Lisa up to do what we actually want to do, as in look after the guys and make the project work. And they do the legwork for the fundraising and stuff like that. And, yeah, we sat down, we talked about it, and Dave was such a personable guy, so passionate about it. Um and immediately warmed him. We got on unbelievably well to the point where I kind of just, I hadn't known him that long, but I was like, yeah, you're someone that I really like and trust 100%, you know? Um, and he reassured me along the way, all of the way as well. And then he had, then we talked about trustees. We took on a board of trustees and they're all like-minded individuals, uh, people that I, I have 100% confidence in um, and that I believe understand the projects and what we want to be doing and what we don't want to be. Um, so anyway, they went through this whole process, all led by Dave, of registering the charity, coming up with a mission statement, goals, aims. And sadly, back in March, he caught COVID um, in the first wave and passed away very quickly. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it was devastating for everyone involved. He was well-known and well-loved in Weymouth, devastating for his family. And we could have stumbled at that point, but we suggested to the trustees that they just, uh, in sort of, honor a day just carry on and try to get this charity registered and see if we could take it on from there and it's about three four months ago it actually became a re realization it was realized and it's registered um it's a david ellis charity now um so right. veterans hub is so they've gone live they're in the they're in the very early stages of everything um but yeah, but that's up and running now as an uh, as a charity arm to support what we do. Um, that's brilliant. Yeah, and it's also in kind of honour of this guy who who was incredibly passionate. Um, you know, we can't we can't bring him back, and we can't change the fact that he went like he did. But like we said to his wife and his daughters and his grandkids, yeah, there could be some kind of legacy here if we make this work. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that, and that's what matters. So I just wanted to say that because you've covered so much there, Lawrence, and I thought, you know, the charity side of it is really important as well. Yeah, no, full, you know, full different. And yeah. I know from my experience of looking at uh, setting up charity status here at the church, 
it's hard work. It yeah, is, it is not easy. <laughs> yeah. It is a labor of love. Yeah, Andy, it is. I agree. Sorry. Right. You have yeah. a busy day tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, you're up at North North Fort. Uh, no, you're not. No, you're no, no, no. No, we've got well, the Ireland. No, um, to, no, that is Lisa and a lot of the guys and girls. I'm going to be going with the charity side of things to uh, the Mayor's Picnic at Sandsford Castle. Lovely. Yes. You have a wonderful picnic, and thank you for sharing tonight because that was just awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love people just getting it and get things done. Yeah. You know. So, and, all right. Thank you, Lawrence. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Good. I will send you the link to uh, the yeah. YouTube video to share around, and I'll create the podcast and send that over to you as well. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. Uh, have a wonderful rest of the Saturday night. Stay safe, stay sane, and look after yourselves. Take Good care, night, everybody. everybody. All right. Good night. Bye.